Welcome to the Redacted Recover Your Mind podcast. During this this podcast, podcast, you'll hear things things that'll scare you, intrigue you, and make you doubt reality. But I assure you, none of this is made up for propaganda. This This is where reality draws out the truth. Broadcasting from a secure location in Traverse City, Michigan. This is the Redacted Recover Your Mind Podcast. Here's your host, Mitchell O'Brien. Hey everybody, this is Redacted Recover Your Mind, and this is your host, Lucas O'Brien. The name and the title is, is wrong for some reason, but so we're coming back this week and talking about homesteading, being a homesteading podcast, obviously. We're going to talk about uh, tinctures, salves, pickling, and preserving your own foods and, and products, possibly raising you know different animals like fowl and ruminants and other things that you would do on a homestead. So um, this week I have a, a special uh, guest coming to talk with us. Let me introduce Mitchell O'Brien. Mitchell, you have anything you want to say? Yeah, I also wanted to bring my knowledge of backyard herbal medicines, some mint and dandelion, the things you can get, antibacterial properties from some of those things to the table as well. Yeah, that would be perfect. <laughs> I, I can't go with it any longer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, everybody, welcome to Redacted, and we just had to have a little bit of fun there for a minute. We did tease that we were changing the podcast to something homestead, homestead related, and that's all we were going to do anymore because of our fascination with waterfowl. Which we're not going to talk about today. I already broke the rule. Well, it's okay. We, we touched on it. We're moving on. We're not going to spend 45 minutes to an hour and a half on waterfowl. I feel like my dad brain is just going to throw some loony waterfowl puns in there, though. I mean, it's kind of a theme at this point, so it'd be wrong if we didn't. But it won't be the main portion of the podcast. I'm just a silly goose. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) just can't do it. Just can't do it. We were going to, you read something recently, like Mm -hmm. very recently, like 10 minutes ago, about the moon and its (laughs) craters. That excited me because of a rant that I did about the moon recently and you said don't get excited because it doesn't answer all of my questions but i need you to explain yeah sadly it didn't answer as much as i thought i've I've talked about the book that i've been reading for a couple weeks that i mentioned i was getting this book it's called worlds in collision by emmanuel velikovsky Hmm. it was written either the 1920s or the 1950s i don't remember i should probably remember i just read it but he doesn't really mention it that much, considering he was writing it. Copyright on this one's 1950, so somewhere around then. So it's fresh. Um, yeah, like 70 years old fresh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a generation ago fresh. But the interesting thing about it is he was specifically writing a book against the scientific narrative at the time, which is the same one that we have now. Um, and pretty much saying that evolution is a lie, at least the way it's presented to us, that 
the sun, the moon, and the stars being this perfect law of things that has always been exactly the same from, you know, observing it from the earth, Mm -hmm. um, that that's not true. And in the book, um, I just finished it today, like literally within the last 20 minutes. And he talks about two different major catastrophes that happened in world history. He's got another book. I think it's Ages and Chaos that I'm going to look into reading as well, if I can get my hands on it, um, that goes into ancient, you know, things even further back, like Noah's Flood, the, the Great Deluge, and things like that. But these two catastrophes were specifically the time of the Exodus in the Bible hmm. and something around the time of Isaiah. Isaiah, Amos, Joel, I think there's another prophet that all lived right around the same time and all talked about kind of the same thing. And he talks about the, the way that he did his research. He took 10 years to do research on this, and he was researching um, ancient texts and hieroglyphics and things of cultures all over the world and compiling what they say about what happened. And there's some really interesting things that they talk about from Greek culture to Roman culture to South American cultures North American cultures, Asian cultures, like things all over the world that they talk about this cataclysm around the time of the Exodus. And they all say exactly the same thing, which is kind of amazing because you have South America, North America, Asia, the Middle East, Africa, Europe, all saying the same kinds of things talking about, and you know, they use their own language. They use their own metaphors and things like that, but they're all talking about similar events. And then same thing around the time of Isaiah. And the really interesting thing that he put forward is that before this great cataclysm in the time of the Exodus, it seems to imply that the days were uh, potentially shorter, Mm. that the year was shorter, and that the sun may have rose in the west. I saw something about that recently, or maybe I heard something about that from the Blurry Bros, but I thought it was an article that I was reading, and it's like, come back next time and hear about our crazy idea that the sun used to rise in the West. Well, the crazy idea is at least written about in Egypt, and Egypt is supposedly one of the oldest um, civilizations in the world. Mm-hmm. At least their writing and uh, hieroglyphics and stuff go back quite far. Right. And so they say there's at least four world ages that they talk about where the sun rose in the west first and then the east and then the west and is now rising in the east again. Um, The last being the time of the exodus that it, it may have changed. And a really interesting thing if you're a studier of the Old Testament is you know that in... Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there's a lot of talk about a calendar and when to keep religious services, um, holy days, things like that, based on, on this calendar that they're given. And in Exodus, God says to Moses, uh, this will be the first month for you. And it's somewhere between March and April. It has to do with the equinox. Yeah. And he says specifically, this will now be the first 
like the starting of the year for you. This will be your spring. This will be the beginning of the year. And then everything else is based off of that. And it's all based on a 360 day year with 12 months that are exactly 30 days long. And everybody tries to reconcile our modern calendar with this. And what they were talking about, what Emmanuel was talking about in the book was that you can't reconcile a modern calendar with this because all these modern scholars, modern being 70 years ago, again, are talking about, um, and even Plato and people like that were like, how were these people so dumb? They couldn't figure out the year was 365 days. And he's like, well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe we're dumb for thinking that it's always been the same and it couldn't have changed. And maybe they were observing what was happening then. Uh, it, 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 it's really interesting. And it's worth reading the book because he talks about Venus and Mars. He talks about the fall of Lucifer being Venus, um, Athena, Aries, battles in the sky. And just really, really interesting things. All this folklore from all over the world about these great catastrophes, things that happen. Manna from heaven being ambrosia of the Greeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, just Really interesting stuff, I think, and I can't sum up the whole book other than I did read about moon craters, <laughs> and it was a really short portion of, of the chapter, sadly. Damn it. But he pretty much said, this catastrophe I talked about in the Exodus with Venus and how it raised the waters to a wall and completely destroyed parts of the world. And there was fire and there was darkness and all this stuff that's talked about in Exodus and all these different writings all over the world. And the things that happened in the times of Isaiah and the shifting of the days and the shifting of the months and the weeks and these crazy things happening in the sky and different nations being destroyed and stuff like that by fire with different writings all over the world, not just from Isaiah. Right. That these were happenings between Venus and Mars and them interacting with the Earth because of orbital shifts and things like that, and how the moon shifted its times in the way that it, it came around the Earth, too. Because at one point, their month was 36 days, basing it on the moon cycle. So now our moon cycle is 29 and a half days. Well, it used to be 30 days. I was going to go to, it, it would make sense because of, I know Tim Alberino, I heard him talking about the comic, the comic, <laughs> wasn't funny, comet impact on the North American ice sheet that used to come down during the last um, ice age, and that could mm-hmm. have been one of the reasons for the flood was not only just giant ball of ice melting in the Earth's atmosphere, but hitting one of the biggest glaciers that ever existed, uh, or at least that we know of. And that could have been one of the reasons, because an impact of that size would have devastated the Earth's crust and caused volcanic activity and, and all of this, and then a, a volcanic winter and... And stuff like that. Yeah. And I was like, if it's a big enough impact, if you think about it, the only people that are going to survive that are on the opposite side of the planet, if they survive mm-hmm. it. And they have this arc made of giant wood to hide in, and there's all these, the water. And so you got to figure, where I was going to go with that is maybe that strike was so powerful that it sped up or slowed down the Earth and pushed it out of orbit a little bit. 
but it sounds mm-hmm. like what you're what you're describing is much much more complicated than that and also lays in line with something else that I was reading it was a very small article and I didn't read all of it because I didn't want my phone to get a virus uh, <laughs> some, some sketchy As they do. Yeah. yeah sketchy uh websites on that that has this stuff on there but uh scientific scientific experiments saying that they think that the earth has a consciousness and this isn't mm-hmm. this is a scientific thing that they're seeing signs of it and I didn't get it like I said I didn't read the whole thing one I was tired and into was it was a sketchy website so I just didn't look into it very much but to say Venus and Mars are fighting and they're two of the two of the gods do these planets are they actually self-aware and sitting in a, some sort of orbit now and then also planet Rahab that Tim Alvarino's talked Timothy Alvarino's talked about mm-hmm. um, th- which they believe was destroyed and that's why we have an asteroid belt now you know this could be part of this could be part of that alien war I was talking about that scarred our moon well, the thing in the in the book that I was just reading, he's he talks about how Venus comes so close to Earth that their atmospheres interact, oh. and that Venus was like a comet at the time; it had a completely different um, orbit, if an orbit at all. So the question is, where's where did Venus come from? Um, he postulates that it came from Jupiter. Because that's actually mm. the Greek myth. Mm. So it was ejected from Jupiter towards the Earth and almost killed all life on Earth. Well, that kind of fits with the alien war concept. And then it's also, what about Mars? Because Mars was talked about in ancient texts before this, and then all of a sudden Mars is interacting with the Earth in a way that it's destroying things. So what happened to Mars that caused it to be so close to the earth and and he says that supposedly mars and venus had interactions that then changed the orbit of mars and that's what made you know mars come close to the earth and have these interactions with the earth and it, it's all very well i mean it makes a lot of sense from what he says and all the different writings that he has and all these different it's like i to me i'm like how can people all over ancient asia and ancient south america and ancient europe have exactly the same story that perfectly aligns about what's going on in the sky and it not be something that happened. Well, they also have some of the same deities that look exactly the same with depictions of them in the exact same positions with the exact same equipment. So, Yeah, and that was that's one of the things we talked about too is the way that these things looked in the sky, specifically Venus being part of the comet tail of Venus being blocked out, like the, the sunlight being blocked, and how it looked like it had two horns, and that's written all over ancient texts that it looked like it had two horns, and so you have the worship of the bull, Baal, and you have the worship of the god, originally god, and then goddess Isis, that was wore a crown that had two horns on it. Um, all sorts of different things like that. That's all based on Venus and how it looked in the sky. He talks about another 
interaction. I don't remember what it was, but um, right after this interaction of this heavenly thing, all these different cultures start talking about a witch riding on a broom with the witch hat. Mm. It was like a new thing in all these cultures. And he's like, maybe they looked up and that's what it looked like. Like a woman on a broom. Um, so it's interesting. That could be the depiction. And there's also the Nephilim side and, and all of that stuff that we've touched on before. But pretty much he puts forward in the book that the craters on the moon were caused by things that are even more ancient than the things he talks about in the book that are in the other book that he was going to write after this one, Ages and Chaos. And that it had to do with the electrical discharges and the, the comets and asteroids and things that were, were coming off of Mars and Venus when they interacted with the Earth. And that that's what pummeled the moon. That's what moved the moon out of its orbit, the Earth out of its orbit. And that's where you get a lot of the craters and stuff on the moon. Well, and that you also bring into the equation, which probably isn't in the book, but the ancient astronaut theorists out there, the secret space program, they talk about uh, races that have spaceships or whatever mm-hmm. you want to say, but they're actually just planets. Kind of like Nibiru, Planet X. And that's where... Oh, yeah, planets are, are, uh, or asteroids that yeah. are actually spaceships. So could that be what Venus and Mars were? And they got brought here for that ancient war, and then that war was one by the side that didn't have them, and now they're just laying in orbit. Potentially. You know, something something like that. And it kind of just starts to bring a, like, let's think about this a little bit more situation. Because they also say that there's races out there who have spaceships that are literally stars, where these beings can live for hundreds hundreds and thousands of years as a natural lifespan. So they build which takes somewhere between fifty to 80,000 years just to build a structure around an actual star, and that becomes the power source for their large spacecraft to intergalactically mm-hmm. travel. So, well, if they can do that, then they can do it with a planet, and that's kind of the thing with the whole Anunnaki thing is that their planet, their, their spaceship is a planet, and it has this comet-like orbit. That's why it goes so far away, and we don't, can't even tell because it's out in the Oort cloud and it's supposed to be coming back through situation. That's interesting. Man, mm-hmm. I haven't even gotten Timothy Alberino's book. Like, it's seriously coming in the mail tomorrow and now I gotta read this one too. Yep. <laughs> and I'll have another one for you soon. <laughs> I feel ashamed that I haven't read Timothy Alberino's book yet. Birthright. Like I said, when the, when the man shows up in small Peruvian jungle villages that had never seen a white man and the white man with dreadlocks down to his butt with a monkey on his shoulder comes walking into town. It's worth reading that guy's book. That's all I have to say. <laughs> I've been listening to all of the blurry stuff of his and I've gotten on his YouTube page and it's just, I love it all. All of it. I'm so glad that we found that stuff. Mm-hmm. But in true redacted fashion, we talked about a plan on what we were going to talk about, and it's 20 minutes into the podcast. We haven't even started talking about that yet. So, on that, what's your favorite thing to pickle? To pickle? <laughs> I thought you said <laughs> tickle, and I was like, this is not that kind of podcast. 
No. Um, going, <laughs> going back to the homesteading. Probably cucumbers, <laughs> I'd have to say. I'm not, I don't know, man. Little rabbit trail before we go on. I'm working at a grocery store at a produce department. Yes. I was doing stock stuff today, and I, I look up. I'm going through making sure all the dates are good and everything, working on orders and stuff. Yep. So I go to the assistant manager, and I pull him over, and I was like, what's the difference between a pickled cucumber and a pickle? Because on the shelf, we had pickled cucumbers. <laughs> and for those that don't know, pickles are pickled cucumbers. <laughs> you can pickle other things, but pickles are pickled cucumbers. So the fact that we have pickled cucumbers and not pickles is just really dumb. And he, he was like, it's probably a marketing thing. And I'm like, I kind of assume so, but I'm just, I wanted to point it out to him because I thought it was funny. He thought it was funny too. So yeah, now we can move on to, to real redacted thing. Yeah. So what we came on here with the purpose of talking about is we're going to dip back into the world of visions, dreams. And I know we've kind of beaten the word prophecy to death, but I wanted to talk about the, prof- not necessarily the prophetic, but the state of mind or how the mind of a prophet works from a biblical standpoint. There's a couple of things that have stood out to me in studying them. And I know for a fact that you, Lucas, have looked into it even more than I have because every time I talk about it, you have references and and just a lot of insight on it. But mm-hmm. I haven't made it. I always catch flack for talking about this stuff too, but I really don't care. That's one of the reasons I'm doing a podcast with this category. But I haven't made it a secret that I have had things that I believe are visions and dreams, and I think you agree with some of the ones that I've shared with you. Um, this, not this year, this last year, but it's boiled over into or poured over into this year now. I've had a series of what I feel are healings or procedures. And they started early in last year. And they've come in a couple different forms. But always, mm-hmm. these ones are always dreams while I'm asleep. And I wake up feeling different than I did before. And I look into, or not, not even look into it, but I hear eyewitness accounts of abductions and procedures and it's very similar but I don't have any of the negative or any of the actual abduction stuff but I do have these dreams where these procedures are happening to me and they're always taking something negative out of my body Mm mm-hmm And then I feel different in a good way, sometimes an awkward way at first, but a good way after that. And I don't even know if I should get into what I feel is actually happening. I do think it's all benevolent um, because it's, it's, it's helping. Do I think I'm getting abducted and worked on? I really don't. Because I think it's all spirituality thing. A, a paranormal, I guess you could say. Which, the more 
I listen to guys like Timothy Alvarino and even some of the other guys that I've heard. Spiritual or spirituality is really the word that I want to go with because paranormal means extra normal, and I feel like a lot of this is just working on the mechanics of how things were created, which would just make it normal. And mm-hmm. supernatural being not natural, be extra yeah. natural. But if things were created to work this way, then at least at some basic mechanic point, which I don't feel like there's anything that can actually happen, good or bad, that doesn't work on some sort of of law that God has put into place at creation. Mm-hmm. I think he can do stuff like that, but even then, I still feel like he has laws for a reason, and even when he changes things, he uses the laws, at least most of the time. And there could be exceptions, but that's just a feeling that I have. So, what I'm going to get into is my most recent experience, and I know that I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, so it has been within, it's been within the last month, it was probably about three weeks ago, and we just haven't talked about it, because I really wanted to talk about it on the podcast, but I, I told you about one where I had something happen, and it was like a very large procedure of a very large it was like if I had a very large cyst on my physical body but it wasn't and the only people that were there were people that I knew and looked up to as being uh, of a good spiritual integrity and Mm -hmm. you kind of said you know I felt safe and you kind of interpreted it for me in a really good way and that's why I was foreseeing it this way This one was a little different. It dipped a little bit more into the alien abduction, being on the table, beings there I don't really recognize. Not detailed enough to give you a good description, but humanoid, not little gray beings, wearing some sort of what I would say, post-modern laboratory wear. Kind of like a what a doctor would wear, but just think a little bit more futuristic. Like, it, as long as they didn't look like Santa's elves or something, cause that's when you have to be really worried. Yeah. That's when you have to stop doing things before dead. And it's hard because like, some of it's really hazy. This isn't the part that I remember the most of. But anywhere from like four to six beings and me being on some sort of, uh, not necessarily a table, but, you know, like a procedure. It was a procedure. Yeah. And then what was removed from my back, which is very significant to me because I've been trying to do a lot of what people call shadow work lately and trying to have gratitude for things that aren't necessarily considered good that have happened in my past. And it's because I've had a lot of spiritual symptoms of putting things behind me, but not actually healing from them. And you can actually have physical manifestations and illnesses from that. Um, We can talk about that sometime if people are interested in it. But 
it's just it's something that I've learned over the time by being intuitive in the stuff that I, I Google. Can't believe all of it, but every once in a while you just know. Um, so basically it was like in the middle of my back, there was just this massive, and this is the best way I can say it, it's going to be gross trigger warning for some people. Some people like this stuff, so I'm not too worried about it. But like a giant blackhead right in the middle of the middle of my back. And there was like almost a robotic arm that came down, picked it from the edges, and pulled it out. And it was this cylindrical thing that almost, it almost looked like a a big, short cigarette. You know, where Mm -hmm. you see it with, you know, the burnt ends kind of dark and then the other end, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, And it didn't look, I'm not saying it was like a perfect cigarette, but that's kind of what it was. It was like, it was darker on the top where the blackhead part was, and as it came out, it was just lighter underneath. And it was like this cylindrical thing. And after it was removed, there was this hole in like this, this, this space left in me and they took it away with this robotic arm and as they took it away it came apart made a big mess whatever that's the gross part i won't go back anymore into that but it, mm-hmm. it completely fell apart and then um i don't remember much after that i remember the beings coming in to work on me and then i woke up shortly after that feeling different and the difference, I would it was, would say it was almost a spiritual and a physical feeling. There was a feeling of being lighter. And in a color way, I guess is the way we could put it. You know, dark and light. There was a, there was a lighterness. There was mm-hmm. also like a heavy and light difference towards the light side and it's really hard for me to completely describe it but i had uh, let me let me let me ask something real quick yes did you feel kind of peel kind of mauve <laughs> or kind of lavender closer to white and i'm already pretty white oh, white. yeah well, so, i don't have anything for white so i'm, I'm going with grayscale so black to white is where I'm working in the feelings department here. It's funny they bring up teal. We've had a, a joke about turquoise and teal at the office lately. <laughs> I, I know. I, I just know these things. But I was actually just looking. I had mauve and lavender in my head, but I was like, I need a third one. We'll go with teal. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, but after this procedure, and then I wake up, and I just have this feeling, and... There was never anything painful about any mm-hmm. of it. It was just this this relief, and it was a light relief. It wasn't a, a huge relief, but I did have this, like when people say, I feel like there's there's a, a hole inside of me that I need to fill, and if anybody takes that sexual, then you can just leave. But um, cause that's not where I'm going with it. <laughs> but, but just like, and, and it, it came with like a like a hunger. Like, I had to fill this void. And I'm just going to be honest. I jumped in to, well, I I started to read my scriptures more. 
And you know what that means. It means that I got into the Sefer and just was kind of jumping all the way around it in Genesis and Isaiah and just all these different things. And I just, I don't even know why I went to the places that I did. But then I jumped into uh, the Blurry Creatures podcast more than I ever have. And I found some of the deepest stuff that I've ever heard from them. And I could not get enough. I'm listening to this at work. I'm listening to it in the car on the way to work which my son just loved because he loves his music <laughs> in the morning. And then on the way home from work, while my girlfriend and I are driving around, she's like, what are you listening to? And she's pretty open to this stuff too, but it was just constant. And I'm walking through the grocery store with my earbuds in listening to it, just constantly. If I wasn't sleeping, like this is this is for the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and... It was like that void filled with the information and wisdom that I got from that. And it's been good. It's been a good thing. Now, that's kind of where I peter off on what's happened with it. Mm-hmm. But that's my, that's my experience that I've had most recently. And I wanted to share that with you. So this is the first time you've heard this one. And this is the first mm-hmm. time anybody who listens has heard this one as well. Do you randomly have like thoughts that come to your mind about Waterworld now? That's kind of creepy, actually. <laughs> but no. Somebody made oh, a joke okay. about Waterworld the other day. <laughs> it's like you don't ever think about Waterworld. It's like that, that thing that's going on 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 the internet where women are asking their significant others, how often do you think about the Roman empire? And then guys mm-hmm. are like, ah, like once or twice a week. And people are like, what? The <laughs> <laughs> male brain, right? It's yeah. a very interesting thing. Um, no, I just, I bring up water world. I don't know if you're there in very creatures, but Luke makes a lot of jokes about water world as, as it progresses. I think that might be where I got it from because I've been soaking them in so much. It's probably where you got it from because I'm like, I, I feel like I've watched, you know, three quarters of Waterworld over 20 different times on cable television re-showing it. You never watch um, all of it at once. It's the weirdest thing. No. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I still don't know the plot. I know there's a kid on a boat, some guy that dies in the water a lot, and I, you know, but like, I knew what he was talking about when he said water world. Yeah, somebody had gills. They could breathe underwater. It's kind of cool. Um, <laughs> that's probably why you made that joke, though. But that's why I brought that up. That's, that's well, he also brought I up have... the, the 80s style jet skis is what they liked. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing better than listening to an 80s themed Bigfoot podcast that's biblically centered. You know? It has almost nothing to do with Bigfoot anymore. Like, <laughs> Right? Except for they still ask people the first time they're on, what do you think about Bigfoot? And it amazes me. Some of these theologians that go on there, short rabbit trail, these theologians that have like, you know, six PhDs and stuff, they're like, what do you think about Bigfoot? And they go, I don't know. I never really thought about it. (laughs) And they're like, you're a demonologist who specializes in exorcisms. That guy had a pretty good... The the exorcist (laughs) files guy, though, he had a pretty good at least thought process with it 
That's how excited I did that one recently. But ever since this procedure dream that I had, I heard the Hitler's file one with Dr. Laura Sanger and her friend L. And that mm-hmm. blew my mind. And I found out in a podcast of theirs I was listening today that that has become their most listened to podcast for obvious reasons if you listen to it. And yeah. it's very unorthodox for a podcast to talk about another podcast like this so much. But these guys have really been good for Lucas's spiritual journey too. But for mine, it's hard to even explain. It's been life-changing. And I've been at a time in my life where I'm just ready to soak in this extra knowledge. I've had a, a hunger for it for so long that yeah. if people come to this podcast and stumble upon us and hear me talking about that one, and that's all that our influence does, I think that we've done a good job. That's where I'm at. Well, and I, I think the reason for that is Redaction is about helping people open up their minds and learn how to think because we're both in the process of that truly learning how to think human beings have been dumbed down for so long that we used to train people to think in schooling. That was part of it is, is how to think. We don't do that anymore, at least for a few generations. So now you have to try to teach yourself to think because you can't go to your parents or your grandparents unless you're really lucky. Like there are people out there that can think for themselves. Um, but you listen to people who have learned how to think. You read books from people that have learned how to think. You read books from people that haven't, and you choose to decipher the information and put it together with other information the way that you want to, and you start to think for yourself. And I think the reason that we bring up Blurry Creatures and other podcasts so much, specifically Blurry Creatures, though, is it helps expand your thought process because you come across such crazy things. Like, I'm looking into Bigfoot. I'm looking into Dogman. I'm looking into the Cherokee little people or something like that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're talking about satanic ritual abuse or they're talking about the Khazarians or they're talking about exorcisms or they're talking about some weird cryptid thing you've never heard of or aliens or how aliens might actually be fallen angels and how fallen angels are using the spirits of the dead Nephilim and how, you know, like just things that you're like, what? <laughs> you know, sometimes it's overwhelming, but it makes you think and it makes you take a step back and go, I need to expand my thought process. I need to expand my paradigm here so that I can actually think this through. And that's important. Like that's what we're trying to do on this podcast. So if this podcast sends you to other ones, I don't mind that either. Hopefully you'll come back. Hopefully we can help you more. But also there are places, you know, go go seek information. Be an information library. Take in as much as you can so that you can then decipher it and come up with, you know, your understanding of reality out of that. I agree with that 1,000%. I don't think that's a percentage. It usually goes up to 100. It's just like a 100% of a bushel of apples is a whole bunch of 100% of apples, just so you know. That's how I think. That's fair. So if you have a hundred percent of ten apples that are all a hundred percent, you have a thousand percent of apples. See? Yeah. Okay. We'll go with that. <laughs> so <laughs> before we get too off from your dream, I have three theories for you. I would love to hear them. Let me lay them out, and then we can kind of talk about it. So theory number one: you're being abducted. That. Pretty- crossed my mind just because of the similarities. It sounds benevolent. Sounds like it's helping you. 
But from my understanding, there are benevolent and malevolent beings that may do things like this. Because I've heard stories of people like having cancer and praying and praying and praying and then literally being abducted and coming back without cancer. Right. Things like that, you know. So, and it, it didn't seem to be negative at all. They didn't have any weird probing or anything like that. <laughs> no uh, bleeding out of orifices or anything. Yep, me so, <laughs> A good experience. Um, so that's like the, the, one of the simple, like, could be that. Doesn't sound like it is to me, but it could be. Um, just the fact that you remember it, most people, and I guess most people have malevolent abductions, so they generally don't remember it. They usually have some sort of cover memory, mm-hmm. and eventually that, like, falls apart, and then they kind of remember it, and then they start to piece, piece it all together and everything. Then they go to a psychiatrist and get put on drugs because they say they're crazy and then, you know, all that. Anyway, I, it doesn't sound like it's that, but that's option one. Option two is you're dreaming and in your subconscious state, your mind is working through these things and you're trying to, like you're consciously trying to deal with things from your past and heal from them and overcome them. And so your subconscious mind with all of the alien things and abduction things, all the stuff you've listened to and taken in, your subconscious mind is using that as the image for the healing of you going to these benevolent beings that are of a higher nature that are taking this away from you so that you can actually be healed from it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that would be in a subconscious vision slash dream state. Right. Which connects to the whole prophetic dream thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The third option I think would be spiritual abduction where your spirit is being taken and things are being removed from your spirit. That's and I, what I'm leaning towards. Well, and that's actually what I'm leaning towards too. And part of the reason is that I've listened to quite a few things that talk about people who do spirit healing and stuff, helping people remove devices from their body, microchips, um, things that are like implanted in the back of their neck to control them, weird like pumps and things like that that are in it. And it's not actually, sometimes it's physical, which is even more horrifying to me. <laughs> but they deal with this in the spiritual. And there's these actual technological devices that are implanted in them spiritually, but they help get out spiritually. And then they have some kind of recovery or overcome an issue or freedom in a certain area or, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's a process of removing certain devices. And this is a lot of people that have dealt with MK ultra dumb state things, mm-hmm. uh, different stuff like that. Um, satanic, you know, cult stuff, just different stuff like that. Or, and again, it could come from ancestors. It could, you know, whatever it is. It sounds like, like from your visualization, it sounds biological, not technological. What was removed? I don't know what that means. But those are kind of my three main theories. So it's one of those three things that's going on. And it could be any one or any combination of them. Specifically, the dream, vision, and it being spiritual could be one and the same. Well, and that's another thing is, you know, as well as I do, that our family, you know, we're not a bunch of 
sexual deviance, and I'm sure I'm going to catch hell for even bringing this up, but sexual impurity is something that's been an issue for more than one of us. Um, Mm -hmm. And that has been removed a lot since then. I have noticed. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm starting to notice it more now just because of the, the amount of time that's went away, went by. But things have been easier to deal with since then. And I... I don't know exactly how it works because I did, I went to bride ministries. I took some of those assessments and I didn't follow through with many of them. I'm going to be honest. I just, mm-hmm. I just didn't, I took forever to even go do them. Cause it's like something was, was stopping me from doing it. And then I mm-hmm. finally did them and I was like, Oh, this is amazing. And there was like a release there, but then I didn't go through and I have all the stuff, all the, all the prayers that they sent me to do it. I just haven't done it, but I've been white knuckling this sexual impurity thing and failing and succeeding and failing and succeeding and failing and succeeding. And I feel like I'm in a new relationship recently and I'm with somebody who is has very similar goals on that part of their life as I do. Mm-hmm. It's being pure with only one other person. And that's not something that I've had before. And that sounds terrible. That sounded terrible. But <laughs> but I'm talking about loyalty. I'm not talking about weird things with multiple people. I'm talking about loyalty. And okay. and so and I and we've already talked about something that you and I have talked about where like the the ancient I don't want to say ancient, but view of marriage was like an agreement between two people and then consummation is kind of mm-hmm. something that you and I talked about. And I told them that's how I felt. And they're like, well, yeah, that kind of makes sense. So it, it kind of coincides together, you know, these two things, this vision, this dream happening to me, this feeling, and then all of a sudden the – sexual impurity kind of being at least mostly gone. Like there's still something in there that's, that's reaching out, trying to tug on those strings, but there's less, they have less rights on that ground now than they did. Well, just to clarify, when you say sexual, sexual impurity, do you mean more temptation towards? Yeah. 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 Okay. And that's what I thought. I just want to clarify for those listening. Like it's yeah, and, I, I knew I and could. this was not talking about like children or anything like that. No. It's not like, no. And like, if you struggle with that, you, you don't have to forever. Like you can overcome that. Don't act on that. That's the worst and most perverse type of sexual right. <laughs> temptation you can have, though it, it, all, it is all perverse and not in proper order. You don't have to deal with any of it for the rest of your life. You be set free from sexual temptation and live controlled by your conscious mind and your spirit and not giving into the urges of your body. And the urges of your body will actually fall in line eventually. I'm trying to save some kind of face is what I'm really trying to do, and I don't even know why I do that because it's, I've never been that way. So what I'm really talking about 
is overindulgence in pornography and masturbation. That's what I struggle with the most. And it's not like somebody's sitting there doing it 18 times a day, but I don't think that's a healthy thing to be doing at all. I don't think that's how it was meant to be used. I think there's a lot of things in a lot of different texts and a lot of different belief systems that talk against it, but it's something that has been a struggle. And I know my life, and I believe other people in my family's life as well, I think it could be an iniquity that we deal with in our line. The sexual impurity in itself, but that's where how it was manifesting for me. I'll just go out there real quick before you move on and say that, like, that was something that messed up my life for a very long time. Yeah. To the point where I would say it was addiction to pornography. It had to do with dealing with physical pain, and I went to it like a narcotic. I mean, it, it got really, really messed up, mm-hmm. and I'm free from it. I'm barely even tempted. Like, occasionally the temptation comes up, and now I just go, no, and I don't go to it. I don't mind stepping on toes here. You might want to put on your steel toe boots if you have a problem with this, because I'm going to step hard. <laughs> pornography is not okay. You're not a horrible person if that's a struggle you deal with. You're dealing with something that has been pushed against you in our culture that destroys people's lives. Like, that's what it does. It does. It it takes all of the the good parts of of sex and procreation and gets rid of them and makes it a completely selfish act using someone as an image. It's like consuming another human being as a commodity. It's wrong. It's horrible. It's not something any human being should be partaking of. It's not beneficial to you, no matter what you think or say, or someone, you know, a sex therapist tells you or something. It's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's not healthy. It's not going to help you be intimate with someone. It's only going to make those things difficult. Again, it doesn't make you a horrible person. If you're dealing with that temptation, you can overcome it. There are ways to get past it. It's taken me 17 years to become fully addicted to it and break free from it. Um, but like you can't, <laughs> you know, I, I want to put that hope out there for people like, but also to say like, cause I, I don't think people say it enough because so many people deal with it, especially so many men in our culture, but you have a little porn device in your hand all day, pretty much. Oh yeah. It's not and hard to get. It's almost hard not to yeah. like they're random text messages and emails. Like you're trying to avoid it. It like throws itself in your face sometimes. And you, it seems that those text messages and stuff only come when you're like in your weakest moment. You oh, know, yeah. It's not like on a day where you're feeling good and strong. It's like a day where you're like, no, I don't want to give into this. And then it's like a half naked woman shows up in a text message from an 800 number with a hundred different numbers in there. And you're like, where did this come from? Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, like that's, it's a struggle that a lot of people deal with. And I think people aren't harsh enough because they're all like, Oh, I've dealt with it or I deal with it occasionally. It's like, no, like it's bad and we can't overcome it. And there's like, honestly, the fact that any child can get on a computer and access pornography is like, that's a completely disgusting thing that mankind has done. And we've destroyed so many lives with it. And I don't know. I hope that, our viewpoints, our viewpoint as a culture changes on it because there, I listen to the Michael Knowles show quite often and he gets 
to the point where he doesn't even bring it up most of the time. He does a mailbag kind of thing every Friday. And he said, he said over and over again, every now and then he'll talk about a special case or somebody brings something up, but he said at least 10, 20, 30, or even more a week, he gets young men reaching out to him about how to overcome pornography because it's ruined their life. Yeah. It really does. It, It ruins the, the intimacy that you can have with another person. It ruins the physical connection that you can have with another person, because that's really what you're doing with, with sexual intimacy is you're connecting on an emotional, spiritual and a physical plane. It, which is Mm -hmm. all the different parts of how we're put together, you know, and it's, it's given to us to, to be something beautiful like that. And it destroys it. And I've personally, and it might surprise you because I haven't been open with this and I know her mother listens to us now. So sorry, mom. Um, it's something that I've struggled with for 26 years is when it showed up in my life and not in the form of another person, not in a form. It was all stuff that I figured out on my own with myself. Mm-hmm. And I was growing up in the, at that time, the internet was the budding part of the stuff being available and I found it. And, you know, because of my, if I didn't find it, you know, there are other ways. So it's just, I think that's part of it. And I didn't mean to jump off on this. I think that, do you want, do you mind going into, because I think you might have a better grip. I just feel like you have a better grip on, I'm sure that was terrible terminology for what we were just talking about, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, The difference between sin, transgression, and iniquity. Because I brought up how it's an iniquity, and what I'm talking about is because it's an ancestral curse, kind of, is where I was going with it. And it's something that our whole family line has dealt with, kind of like other addictions that we've had to deal with. I think you would be able to explain that a little bit better, the difference between just a sin, a transgression, and an iniquity. Yeah, so in the Bible, those three terms are used in the English. I don't remember the Hebrew terms or the Greek terms offhand. But there are three distinct terms that are all legal terms that would be used in court. Now, they're not used the way that I'm going to describe in court. This has to do with the way that it applies to your spiritual life. But they are, it's judicial terms. And and I I know this because I have listened quite a bit to a, a Bible scholar who is also an attorney. That's what he did as his career. So he really broke down the language. He also speaks like seven languages. He was the guy who wrote the supper. Or not wrote it, but you know, yeah. helped translate it and compile it and everything. Yep. Very intelligent man. And he broke this down. And I, he didn't break down everything that I'm going to say, but he was the first one that I heard it from. So you have three different categories. All over the Bible, it talks about how Jesus died for our sins. Anybody that knows of Jesus goes, yeah, he's the guy that died for my sins. Well, sin is an old archery term meaning to miss the mark. Right. It, it also comes from a few different places. There's, there's different meanings, different cultures, whatever. But basically, well, in the English, where we get sin, it means to miss the mark. So you know there's something you should do, and you mess it up. It's right. like you're trying to parallel park, and you just can't get in the space. Like, you're trying, but you end up, and, like, there's hope for you there, too, because parallel parking's not hard. But 
you bump the curb. Oh. Yeah, literally bump the curb with your tires. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways that you can figure it out. But anyway, like it's like that where like you're trying, but you don't quite get it. That's it. Or it's an accident. You stumble into something. That's sin. Transgression is a step further. Transgression is an act of, a, of the will. In Catholicism, they call it mortal sin. It's when you know you're sinning and you choose to do it anyway. Right. So, in this might be extreme, but you're driving down the street in a snowstorm. Somebody's walked across the street. You don't see him because it's a blizzard. When you see him, you slam your brakes, your wheels lock up. You can't stop. You hit him, you kill somebody. Right. That's involuntary manslaughter. That would be sin. You didn't try to kill someone, but someone died because of your actions and because of their actions. But someone's dead now. That's involuntary manslaughter. That's sin. You did something that wasn't good, but you weren't intending to. Right. And then there's, it's 75 degrees and sunny. Your windshield's clear. There's no one on the street. You see somebody walking across the street who, you know, cut you in line at Starbucks yesterday. You want to get even. So you speed up to make sure you can hit them in the crosswalk and then they die. That's murder. Transgression. And potentially premeditated murder. That's transgression. That is, you, you chose to do something wrong even though you knew it was wrong. Iniquity is a step further. Iniquity is something that's inherited or that becomes a trait of your character. Mm -hmm. Addiction, I would consider iniquity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And addiction tends to be passed down. So like an alcoholic father tends to have an alcoholic son. Our fathers dealt with substance abuse on and off a lot throughout his life. So did our grandfather. We both inherited that. We've both been fighting that our entire life. Along with things that, you know, we talked about the iniquity of sexual things, and there's definitely adulterous things in the past on at least one side of our family. And so those kinds of things are passed down. Then you have to deal with those, those urges and those issues, and you have to break those apart and overcome those things. But that's where you get iniquity. Iniquity is an interesting thing because when we start talking about aliens and stuff like that, there's a lot of people that believe that there's iniquity in our bloodline from other bloodlines mixing in mm. Anunnaki blood mixed with human blood. And so you have Anunnaki iniquity along with Nephilim iniquity and uh, reptilian iniquity and you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, and that when that Al was talking about the Hitler project, they said that they were, t- they were specifically breeding with the different beings. Cause I don't remember the actual terms to, collect iniquities one body for a purpose because iniquity gives access to different spirits it's like it gives them spiritual right to your body and to your soul because of certain iniquities so they can actually control you and anybody that's been an alcoholic or struggled with alcoholism any any drug probably i mean even pornography you feel like something comes over you and you don't have a choice you just do it Mm-hmm. And in your mind, you're going, why am I doing this? I don't want to do this. I don't want to be this way anymore. And you do it anyway. It's because you are literally being controlled by a different spirit. That's a I'm not big saying part of what I've been through. Sorry. Yeah. Or, yeah. And I know you've been through that and we've talked about that. 
uh, and I think we've talked about it on the show as well. And that's how I used to feel with pornography. And then by getting set free in a set of different steps that I took throughout time, it's like one day, all of a sudden I had a choice. And when the temptation came up, I said, no, and I went away. And that was a completely new feeling to me because I used to say no, and it came on stronger. Right. And I'd say no again, and it came on stronger again. And like, it's like an alcoholic driving past a liquor store. It calls out to you. It's like you, you have no control over it. You're going to, it's like siren call. Next thing you know, you're throwing yourself over the side of the ship. Can I, can I interject just real quick? Just to yeah. add to what you're saying, because I agree with what you're saying, because I definitely, I have a very pivotal moment of my addiction, not even my recovery. This was before I even wanted to get into it, where I had told people that I wouldn't drink anymore. I was waiting to get into my recovery program that I got sober in, and I promised people I wasn't I wasn't going to see anybody. I was going to be, you know, in my own little world for like two days. And they said, promise me that you won't drink in these two days because they were trying to be supportive, but they just couldn't be around. And it's like I was trying to keep people around because I couldn't be sneaky without or, you know, when they weren't. And I ended mm-hmm. up in a liquor store. And how I describe it is I was a scared little kid in this dark little corner of my mind screaming at whoever had control because my body was smiling and joking with the clerk at the liquor store, getting my drink of choice, handing them the money and going. But in my head, I was screaming at myself to stop saying, you promised you're not supposed to be doing this. We can't do this. You need to stop. But my body went on with it, with, with it, or like it couldn't even hear me. And hmm. that was terrifying. Not to mention the other things I had to go through in early recovery with, like, these fractured, almost personalities at the beginning. I think we talked about a little bit. I don't know if it was just with you or if it was on the podcast, but just a little bit. But then <clears throat> I think that that's what's happening with your other point that you brought up. That's what's happening with this with this dream that I had or in these these healings is I was like I, I equate it to white knuckling it, which is a term that we use in recovery where you're just trying to just not do something with your mm-hmm. willpower. That's it. Just your willpower. I'm not going to drink. And that causes people to become what they call dry drunks or, or whatever, where you don't really change what is causing you to have these addictions in your life. You just stop drinking and you usually pick something different up in the process. And it can be anything addictive. It doesn't even have to be a substance, but you always end up picking something else up and you become a very toxic person. But... For a long time, I was just trying to white-knuckle this sexual impurity issue that I've been having, and it would always just, it would always fail. It, was always, it would always fail. And this kind of pulls us into the mindset of a prophet that I wanted to get into as well, was 
I've, over the last year of growing my spirituality, I've gotten to a point where I feel like I have an energetic understanding relationship with my creator in my soul on a moment-to-moment basis. And as I was making these decisions, I was, I could hear the, hey, you don't have to do this. We don't want you to do this. And then the immediate call to repent after I had made the wrong decision. But Mm -hmm. it was that, like you said, it was that it's like something else took over. And I'm going, I know I shouldn't be doing this. Doing it anyway. Situation. And all of a sudden, it's like that relief, like you said. Like you finally said no, and it was like, okay. That's not exactly what you said, but that's kind of how it feels now. That's pretty close. You know, the temptation isn't 100% gone, but when I say no, I can, you know, brush my teeth and go to bed and not have to act something out that I shouldn't be. Yeah. And that goes back to the difference between sin, transgression, and iniquity. Because, like I said before, iniquity is a legal issue. Something, and whether it's a part of your soul has legal right to do it because you've given it that right, and that part of your soul takes over, that part of your personality, or a different spirit of some sort takes you over, or however that works, and situations are different like it has legal right either legal right has been given by by someone else in your past generations or you have given it legal right and like that's the thing that that i think back to um with the whole issue of pornography is there was already a foothold there in our family mm-hmm. and then me as a curious young teenager opened that door and then eventually I kept the door open. I just kind of kept it ajar. And then eventually I just kept it completely open. And it was just, you know, I I just gave every single spirit that wanted in complete access to that area of my life. So they had control. And then when I wanted to close the door, it's like, no, 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 no. You've given me rights here. Like, it's like you are an apartment and they now have a lease. And you can't just kick them out because you feel like it. Right. They have legal right. You know, they're paying to be it. They do their part. You do yours. It's you know, it's it's kind of a mutual thing. And when you want to cut off that relationship, they still have rights as a tenant. And so you have to break down that legal process, and you have to, it, it can be a really hard, long process. No matter what the issue is, it can be very difficult because you're you're trying to break down a legal process and we don't talk about it that way. And we don't think about it that way. Right. Because we don't set it up that way, but that is how it's set up. Yeah. I have a thought to add to that. And it comes from, I listened to an episode recently with the guys from the exorcist files, which is another podcast, but Mm -hmm. there's a, I can't remember what the other guy does, but he's a believer in some one way, shape or form of, you know, Jesus Christ. And then the other is an actual exorcist Catholic priest. And I won't get into how I feel exactly about that religion, but he seems to be like the coolest Catholic priest I've ever heard talk. So, 
But something that he brought up in that episode was, and he didn't necessarily say it exactly like this, but this is what he was saying, and it pertains to what you were just saying. Transgression can open the door and cause iniquity. And I think that's how it starts down the ancestral line is these transgressions. And I think that you and I have talked about it, about our own living ancestor and the things that they chose and how we had to deal with certain entities growing up, which I think we've shared a little bit about on the podcast. We can talk about it later if we want to. But because of the decisions that they were making, they were letting these presidents presences into our our home when we were growing up and young mm-hmm. and in a vulnerable state. So, yeah, the transgressions leading to an iniquity is kind of what I wanted to add there. And I think you can take it a step further down the line, too, and how sin can be an accident, but you can get that taste for it in that. So that's where we'll call the devil or the temptations come in and they tempt you. And all of a sudden you go, oh, that feels good. That tastes good. That whatever is good. And then you start to turn it into a transgression where you're doing it on purpose. And you do that yeah. and it becomes an iniquity which does not just affect you. People have this, well, I'll do what I want. It's not hurting anybody else. That is not the case. If you leave that unchecked, it can run wild in your ancestral line through your DNA. Well, it's not just that, but it's like any sort of iniquity. And I'll use the term addiction because I think a lot of people get that is, it it becomes an addiction. It becomes something that you don't have control over that you go to as an impulse that affects everyone around you because you're going to treat people differently, especially if you're not certain addictions are different than others. But if you haven't given into your addiction for a while, you're going to treat people differently Mm -hmm. and change the way you view people. You can start using people as a tool, manipulating people. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing is like, the enemy will use that to get a foothold into your life in different areas and then add more, get you into more transgression until you're just a, a bad person. You have bad character. And like you said, it's, you need to quench sin. When you have sin, you need to put it out like fire. It's like a, a, a match that you lit. Put it out now because next thing you know, it's a bonfire and that's like transgression. And then if you let that go out of control, it's a forest fire, and there's not really anything you can do with it. You, you can't stop it. It's it's going now. Um, and, and you can stop transgression, but it's not so easy. Or iniquity, sorry. You can stop iniquity. It's just not so easy. Transgression is already very hard to stop because it's become a part of your character. It starts to become a part of who you are. When you start choosing to do something that you know you shouldn't be over and over again, it becomes a habit. So you have to stop it at that sin level. Um, and one of the problems, and, and this is the problem that most people have, is we're not really taught it's wrong at anything anymore. And if we are, we're told not to do things. We're not told why. Yep. And so that doesn't really teach us that it's actually wrong. Like, if you're not taught why it's wrong, 
then there's no reason why it is wrong, and then why not do it? And that's not what, how we were created. Every it, look, look into the scriptures. Every time we're told not to do something, we're told why. Yeah. And people can argue with that, but even right at the very beginning, don't eat from that tree or you're going to die. Yep. Right right there. Boom. And then... And that... Then the temptation. You want to talk iniquity. Yeah. <laughs> the big <laughs> because one. Because that wasn't, that wasn't a sin. Because they knew what they were doing was wrong. That wasn't sin. We like to say that's when sin enters the world. That wasn't a sin. It wasn't an accident. That was a transgression. And at least... I don't know, maybe Eve wasn't told. Maybe it was a sin on her part and it was a transgression on Adam's. I don't know. People have implied that in things that I've listened to. But either way, it, it was a transgression. That tra- transgression became a generational iniquity and has been passed down through mankind ever since. I mean, it makes sense. And I mean, there's the whole part where, you know, Adam was the head and Eve was the body. And, you know, with the, the whole marriage concept where even though Eve did the wrong thing, if Adam would have put a stop to it right then and there, it would have, people are pretty sure it would have come out completely different than the way it did. So that really could have been a command that was given to Adam and not necessarily Eve. And if Adam would have said, no, we stop this right now, then it would have just been a sin. Yeah. That was added into the Mosaic law that a father as head of the household, if his wife made a vow to someone about anything, um, once he heard about it, it didn't even have to be in the same day or anything. Once he heard about this vow, if he chose to annul it before sundown of when he heard about it, it was annulled and it didn't count. It did not have to be fulfilled. His wife or his children as the head of the household. Yeah. Because he had the choice choose from entering into a bond with anybody or anyone in his family, you know, until they were of age and, you know, like all that stuff, there's, you know, under, but as long as they were under his umbrella of protection and, or his covering, however they put that. But I think that's a really good picture that it's like, that actually became a point of law that it could be annulled by the highest authority the cross of Christ comes in because he is the higher authority that annulled everything that we chose to step into every transgression, every iniquity in Isaiah 53, it says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. But that's and, more of a, he's wiped away this generational curse. He's wiped away the iniquity. So what you were just saying was more of, and I want to, I want to, I wanted to interject because I wanted to put this to put it out there because if I thought about it, somebody else did. So if you're mm-hmm. saying that it was a law back in Hebrew times or, or whenever it was that if the husband found out about it and he annulled it within that day, then then it was, and it, and it didn't happen. Well, Adam and Eve's being children of God, why didn't God do that for them then? And, I already know the answer to that, and I just wanted to throw it out there for people. Because Adam and Eve were not just children of God. They were regents put in place. They were their own head of the realm that they were given. So they were held to a higher standard. So were they in the family of God? Were they children of God? Yes. 
but they had to be held to a, a higher standard. So this iniquity was put in place and had to be dealt with down the road. And that's kind of where we get the whole rest of the story and where Christ comes in. But they had a higher responsibility than just being children of God, which I think a lot of the modern church likes to kind of paint that picture. Like we were a baby race, and even though they pictured as adults, we were just, we didn't know much, and we just kind of were naked and eating fruits and petting animals in the Garden of Eden. And the reality of the situation is much bigger and more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. And the reason that it wasn't able to just be wiped clean and be like, hey, I told you not to do that. We're not doing that, and now we're going to make a better decision, which is kind of what we're saying the Hebrew men could have done later on with their annulment of oaths and decisions that happened in the family. The reason they didn't do it is because Adam was made not just the head of him and Eve, but an entire basically an entire existence. You could say a planet, a realm, but of an entire existence, basically. And I don't have it all figured out, but that's the actual picture that is painted back in early Genesis. Well, and to that point, that he was, he is, he is and we are children of God, but he wasn't a child living in his father's household. His father set him in a place, gave him authority over it, and stepped away. Said, this is yours. Do as I said. Make it flourish. This is your responsibility. There you go. I think that's what I was trying to get at, too. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Because I was trying to get at, you know, he's not in the father's house. The father was not responsible for him anymore. And, in fact, he was responsible for everything else around him. Situation. Yeah, exactly. So he had the right to annul what Eve did, but the father had given, in a sense, the father had given up his right to annul anything. Cause he was like, this is yours. You get to take care of it as you please do a good job with it. And he could step in as an overarching authority, but then that doesn't let his children learn. And it also doesn't, it, there's no responsibility and there's no like true ownership of something. If, Dad can just step in and fix anything whenever he wants. Because like he can, but he's not going to because he's got he's, he's looking over the entire universe. He gave you a job, do your job. Like yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of part of it. Like, like you're you're the department manager over here, and I'll step in if I have to if you really mess stuff up. And he did. That's that's the whole point. That's the whole point of the gospel. And that's what I was saying with with Christ coming is that he stepped in. And he annulled all of it so that we can be set free from it because he came back as God and said, all right, you're not held by any of this. Like you are until you choose not to, because I'm going to pay the price for it so that you don't have to be held by any of this anymore. I'm going to set the annulment for it. And like, you're only under it if you choose to be at this point. Mm -hmm. Well, and, I think that not only did he didn't just come in and annul it either, there was a whole series of events that played out over thousands of years where mm-hmm. he gave us, yeah, we had side quests where we had to set it in motion. People had to do actual work and there were, there were mistakes and there, and there, you know, 
and that's well, putting it way too lightly, but like the whole, you know, Yahusha being from the line of David, you know, that meant something. He had to be pure. He had to be of a certain bloodline for it, for it to work. And so God was there. He was, he was with them. But like I said before, he had set certain rules into place and we can talk about the laws of physics, but there's, you know, there's spiritual laws too. That all the good things and all the bad things they have to follow. And so there, you'll you'll read certain things like there was a story brought up the other day uh, where David was on the run from Saul, and he prayed and said, "Hey, if I stay here, is Saul going to come and kill me? And if I stay here, are these people going to give me up?" And every time God was just like, "Yeah, yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah." It's going to happen. And then David had to take action. So it's like he was there to guide us, but we had to do some of the work to get ourselves out of the, out of the stuff, you know, out of, out of the iniquity. There was work yeah. that, that had to be done. Because I think if it was easy as – I think if it was just as easy as the Son of God coming to fix everything, it would have happened before it happened. There was a series of events that humanity and mankind had to go through to get to that point. There's a reason it happened the way it happened. Mm -hmm. And I can't really explain past that. (laughs) But I I hear what you're saying, and I agree. But the Bible also does say that he was, um, how do they put it? He's true. The lamb slain from the foundations of the earth or something like that, that he was sacrificed. Essentially, his sacrifice is all-encompassing from the beginning of time to the end of time, in the middle of time. Um, But yes, it's like, at the same time, Paul says that somewhere and explains that. Um, But there's, what you're saying is true as well, and I think it's also true now, and this goes against a lot of the theology of church that just says, all you need is Jesus, you just got to say, I accept him in my heart. And then, you know, some say you have to get baptized and you have to take communion and some don't and some, you know, whatever, but like there's very little. And I think the Bible actually says there's a little more than that. Yeah. Like you, you have to put in the work to become a new creation. And then you need to change the world around you by being that new creation. Like it, it's literally the way Paul puts it is being dead to sin. He was a slave to sin, but now he's become dead to sin through the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. So now that he can live as a slave of Christ. Like some kind of zombie, right? That was (laughs) audio adrenaline, I think. Like some kind of zombie. (laughs) Dead to sin, like some kind of zombie. Oh, my teenage years. (laughs) Good times. Well, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you got to look back on it like that got us through. That's another thing. Like, like I, I brought up the, the the shadow work is everything that happened to us, you got to just another Bible verse. Count it all joy. You have to. You can't look mm-hmm. back and hold resentments on what happened to you because you are here today affecting other people's lives, hopefully for good if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And, and 
your past is what got you here. Your past is what gave you. And I've, I've actually had to talk to a couple of people recently about it that are like, I really don't want to be in the situation I'm in. Like, well, think about it though. You're just a couple of days into this journey. What if you having to be in what you're considering this hole of despair for the next two weeks? Like you have a goal out of it, but you have to be here and do this hard work for the next two weeks. In four to five years down the road, you're going to be able to help somebody who's in a very similar place to you. And all of a sudden, this negative place that you're in right now is going to be a good thing helping somebody else. Mm -hmm. And it's like a light bulb came on. And I hope that person got motivation from that. It seemed like it because I just weirdly in a, an awesome act of God saw him the next day when there was no reason to. And they were in just like a much better mood and a much better place. And uh, I just, I think that's a, it's not just a, a nice thing that I can say to people. I think there's mirrors of that in the whole history of humanity that we were just kind of talking about. Mm-hmm. You know things had to happen a certain way. I I want to throw out there the Bible verse you referenced, um, to count it all joy. And you says, count it all joy to face trials or count it all joy, my brothers. And you face trials of many kinds. He goes on to say, these slight, slight afflictions that we deal with in the flesh. This, this man, Paul, had been stoned to the point where they thought he was dead and not the fun getting high stoned, like took rocks of a few pounds and threw them at him until they thought he was dead. He had been put in prison multiple times. He had went without food. He had been exiled. He had been through a hurricane where the ship wrecked and floated on debris to an island. I think twice. I think that, that <laughs> happened. Like, I mean, it's like the things that this man went through are like. Got bit by a snake right after one of them. Yeah, he got bit by, yeah, they worshipped him. It was on that island. He got bit by a snake, a poisonous snake, kicked it off. It, he didn't die. And then the people start worshipping him. He's like, no, I'm just, I'm immune to poison because of Christ. <laughs> Don't worship me, worship him. That's pretty much what he says. It's just like, oh, okay, sure. Um, but he had been through hell, like a hell of life. And we're like, my car broke down. I lost my part-time job. And I cracked the screen on my phone. Life is horrible. <laughs> the guy was stoned to death and went through a hurricane and drifted on, on part of the ship until he got to an island and then got bit by a poisonous snake. You know, things could be a little worse. And he was saying, count it all joy when you face slight affliction. You know, so there's, it's definitely an attitude. That's like you talked about. It's about being uh, thankful, having gratitude for the things that we go through because it's all part of the learning journey. And this whole thing to go back to, we haven't talked about the prophetic mind that much like we were talking about, but David was considered a prophet. He wrote most of the Psalms. And he was kind of unique because he was a king. And generally, kings weren't prophets. You had a king and a prophet. And he also had prophets that worked with him. I think it was Nathaniel was one of them. 
but David also prophesied and David's heart, it says that he was a man after God's own heart and that the whole point of that was not that he never did anything wrong, but that he had a heart of repentance. He was willing to turn from his sin and transgression because when he sleeps with Bathsheba Mm -hmm. and has a child, which later the next child from Bathsheba is Solomon, who becomes the next king, the, the most wise man potentially ever to live from what mm-hmm. the texts say. So he sees this woman bathing on a roof, which is weird anyway, why she would be doing that in the middle of the day where people can see, but he does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. Then maybe she wasn't wrong in this as well. And so he asked for her to be brought to the temp- or to the castle or whatever temple that's wherever he lives. And she says she's married. So he goes through a bunch of motions. First, he finds he sleeps with her, finds out she's married, finds out she's pregnant. He pulls her husband off the front lines of battle. He's one of his best soldiers and tries to get him to sleep with his wife to impregnate her so that (laughs) he can, you know, just brush this whole thing off. doesn't have to get in trouble. So like, this is transgression. This is not simple sin. This is thought through. This is malicious. He's, you know, he's trying to get out of it. He's got lots, there's lots of intent here. You go to prison for a while. There's a lot of proof. Uh The husband won't sleep with his wife because he's like, no, I'm supposed to be on the battlefield. I can't leave my soldiers like this. I have a battalion to lead. And so he sleeps outside of the city walls until David will let him go back to war and won't go spend time with his wife because he's such an honorable man. So David puts a scheme together to put him in the front lines, have everyone else drawn back so he's killed and he gets killed. And that's when Nathaniel comes to him. I think it's Nathaniel and has this whole prophecy about the whole thing. And so he's confronted and he truly realizes the extent of what he did. And he's instantly repentant and goes to God and asks for forgiveness for what he does, confesses everything he does, asks for forgiveness. Um, I think there's sacrifices and things that are done after that, whatever, but it's, it's that heart of being willing to turn away. Mm-hmm. And I I think even when we fall into transgression, there's an argument to be made that you don't truly understand it's wrong until you are willing to turn from it because then you actually see that it's wrong Mm. or you see it's wrong and you're not willing to turn from it. And then it becomes iniquity. Yeah. I think there's a, a strange part of that because there have been times where I knew it was wrong before I did it, but we could be like you just you just said literally just said it could have been because of iniquity, and mm-hmm. we're talking about things that we have identified as iniquity in our lives. And I'm totally good about talking about how all prophets were depressed. That's where I was going to go with it. Um, <laughs> I knew you were. <laughs> I mean, that's always one of my points that I I say, but you know more about it, so that's like the part that I get to. Where we do it next time because we're going to have to wrap up here here shortly. But I do like that we got to talk about, because it's something that, that came up recently with, with me, and, and part of that, having a hunger for this wisdom and knowledge all of a sudden, and this space to put it inside of me, was 
the difference between sin, transgression, and iniquity. And growing up in the church congregation that you and I both did, they were, um, maybe I was missing the mark, and that's possible because I'm not the smartest person, but they were all kind of grouped into the same thing when I was being taught about it back at, you know, church when I was a kid. Like I said, I I could have been just misunderstanding, but that's kind of how it felt for me. Yeah, I I would agree on that. Like, I I feel that it was never explained well. And it wasn't, and again, maybe if we were misunderstanding it, it was explained better than we thought. We just weren't able to understand it at the time. Right. But I don't think it was explained well. That's how I kind of felt, too. (laughs) You know, as you get older, you learn things. Hopefully, you're continuing to grow until you die. Right. And you continue to learn things and have understanding brought to things. And it's something that really I I started to understand three or so years ago, three, four years ago. And I started to get a fuller understanding of. And it's given me a lot of freedom from things as I started to understand kind of the legal system of how these things are given authority in my life. Because then you can start breaking that down. You can start learning how. Because... If you don't know the problem, you can't fix it. So most people go like, I drink and I don't want to drink anymore. And I feel like I can't stop drinking. Okay. That's, that's good. You figure that out. Why are you drinking? Well, I drink because I'm sad. Okay. (laughs) Why why are you (laughs) sad? And then you, you figure out why you're sad and say, okay, why are you really sad? Because that's probably not actually, that's like a symptom of why you're sad. So then you have to dig and dig and dig and dig until you, eventually you find a root of this issue. And that's why it, it took me years to realize that I was going to pornography to deal with physical pain. Right. It took me a very, very long time to figure that out. But it was like taking a narcotic or something to numb the pain. Mm-hmm. and it worked you know that's that's why i kept going to it because it worked but it took me a very very long time and the, the people in the church never helped me with it because they're like it's sin and it's bad and you need to figure out the root of it and the root of it is lust and it's like well yeah there's a little bit of that like i'm a man women are pretty yeah. <laughs> you know so that's the thing but it, that wasn't actually the root of it for me. The just, root of it was just, the physical pain. Just stop. Just, just, just stop. Yeah, just, just stop. Just stop it. <laughs> just stop doing that. Um, yeah, go tell that to a crack addict. Well, I'm glad we got to really talk about that. We got to touch on the major points because it's something that's been really prominent in my life and my journey recently. And I, I heard a good term recently that this is a journey podcast. I hope it is for you, Luke. It is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're we're working out things that we're learning and going through in our lives, and hopefully getting insight here soon. I'm trying to get some guests on the show, but you know, it's just we appreciate everybody coming with us, and like we said before, we really want to be able to point people in the right direction, and hopefully, people stick around. And but if not, and they can they can grow and move forward in their spiritual journey, then I feel like we've done our job. Mm-hmm. I would agree to all of that. 
Is there anything you'd like to leave the people with before we say goodbye? Uh, talking about growing, I just want to say grow where you're planted and come back to Redacted to learn all about your homesteading needs. <laughs> we will have all your farming tips in the this future. Is, this is a homesteading podcast, yes. Yes, this is definitely a homesteading podcast. <laughs> well, then with that, I'm going to say goodbye. Tell everybody you'll see him next week. All right, I'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. Later. Thanks for listening to the Redacted Recover Your Mind podcast. For more episodes, click the link in the description.